0: Section 74 of The Catholics Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Catholics Ready Answer by Reverend M. P. Hill. Section 74 Purgatory Protestant View The doctrine of purgatory is not scriptural. Nor does reason find sufficient grounds for accepting it. Catholic Teaching The doctrine of purgatory is so reasonable that many Protestants in our day have been obliged to face about and admit the existence of a middle state, as they term it, a state in which are detained souls whose condition bars their immediate admission to heaven. The middle state does not precisely tally with our purgatory, but the doctrine is supported by arguments similar to those advanced in favour of purgatory. Very few of our separated brethren, who reject and even deride the notion of purgatory, can have given any very serious consideration to the grounds on which the Catholic doctrine rests, and yet very little consideration should suffice to show that the doctrine is both rational and scriptural. According to the teaching of the Catholic Church, The eternal lot of each one who departs from this life will be either the enjoyment of unspeakable happiness in the possession of God, or banishment from God and unspeakable misery. It will be either heaven or hell. The latter fate will immediately overtake those who die with their souls stained with grievous sin and are consequently in a state of enmity with God. Those who die free from grievous sins and in the possession of sanctifying grace, whereby they are made friends of God, will have for their portion the eternal joys of heaven. But an immediate entrance into heaven, an immediate participation of God's beatitude in the visible presence of the all-holy God himself, is impossible, except for those who are entirely clean of heart and free from the slightest stain. So great is the holiness and purity of God that nothing in the least degree defiled can stand in his presence. There shall not enter into it heaven, anything defiled. Epoch 21.27 Thy eyes are too pure to behold evil. Habakkuk one thirteen. Now there are souls whose sins are not so great as to have deserved eternal punishment, and yet by reason of lesser defilement, those souls are unfit to enter the presence of God How are these souls to fare? They must be pure as the driven snow before entering heaven. Therefore, they must previously pass through a state of purification, which is purgatory. This argument, it is plain, is based upon the distinction between slight and grievous transgressions. Reason must acknowledge such a distinction, and it is borne out by Scripture. In many things we all offend, says St. James three two but all must include not only the wicked but also the just and the sins of the just must be comparatively slight now if one who dies in the state of grace has not repented of all such venial offences his sins are not so grave as to exclude him from eternal happiness and yet he cannot carry the guilt of them into the presence of god sin and infinite holiness cannot be such close companions for one moment, much less for eternity. Hence the sinner will be excluded from heaven till he repents of all his offences. But it may be asked, cannot the divine mercy cancel the guilt, or, in other words, justify the soul by the infusion of grace? Undoubtedly it can, but on condition of repentance. Now repentance is a free act. It implies a change of disposition in the will, and ends the will is duly repentant and turns to god then the grace of justification is infused if therefore a man passes out of this life with the guilt of lesser offences on his soul he must repent before entering heaven the need of repentance supposes a state of guilt and not merely the fact of having sinned if one sins and is not sorry for his sin his will remains infected with the guilt of his sin and it is only by a free act of his will that he can rid himself of the infection this change of will must take place either here or hereafter if hereafter then surely in purgatory the need of purgatory for uncancelled guilt is especially evident in the case of confirmed habits of sin let us suppose that a man dies who has been justly regarded as a good christian with all his virtues however He is not free from defects perhaps as the french put it he has the defects of his virtues he has a tinge of spiritual pride and is consequently harsh in his judgments about others or perhaps living in easy circumstances he is immoderate in his pleasures repentance must be brought to bear upon these dispositions either here or hereafter and the greater the force of habit the deeper the repentance required The approach of death may or may not have brought him to a realization of his defects, but before he sees God he must be pure and stainless. Purgatory must do the work of cleansing which was left undone in this life. But repentance for sin is not the only condition for reconciliation with God. Satisfaction must be rendered, even for sin of which the guilt has been remitted that pardon does not necessarily cancel all one's indebtedness to god and that satisfaction may have to be rendered even after pardon should be clear to anyone who knows god's ways of dealing with offenders under the old law adam was forgiven his sin but nevertheless he was obliged henceforth to eat his bread in the sweat of his face moses was pardoned for his want of trust in the almighty but he was excluded on account of his sin from the land of promise David was forgiven his double crime of adultery and murder, but in consequence of it he was obliged to suffer many tribulations. The idea of rendering satisfaction for sin committed is familiar to the history, the literature and the practice of religion under the Old and New Testaments. God is merciful and he turns not away from the sinner when the sinner turns to him in a repentant spirit but it is his very mercy that prompts him to bring home to the sinner the gravity of his sin. For sin is not only an offence against the divine majesty, but at the same time the greatest evil that can befall the human soul. That God is rigorous in exacting satisfaction for sin, we may gather from the words of our Lord, reported by St. Matthew, verse 25, 26. Be at agreement with thy adversary betimes, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest perhaps the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Amen, I say to thee. Thou shalt not go out from thence till thou repay the last farthing. And yet, how many can be said to have made full and complete satisfaction for their sins before leaving this life? Evidently, then, there must be a state after death in which the soul pays its debts to the last farthing and this state we call purgatory as to the nature of the punishment inflicted in purgatory there is no dogmatic teaching of the church on the subject but the more common teaching of the theologians is that it consists in the endurance of fire in this sense the words of st paul 1 corinthians 3:15, may be interpreted he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire it is a well-grounded opinion by some leading catholic theologians that purgatorial suffering far exceeds in severity any of the sufferings of this life it is natural that in the next life god should be doubly rigorous in dealing with those who have been less diligent in this life in atoning for their transgressions We have seen what reason and scripture have to say on the subject of purgatory, but the undoubted teaching of God's Church, from the beginning of its history, furnishes a no less cogent argument in favour of the Catholic doctrine. The voice of antiquity is decidedly against the teaching of the Reformers, and if so, we would ask any candid Protestant reader of these pages whether he can feel it safe to hold an opinion which is contradicted by testimonies derived from an age when the doctrine and the practice of the church are acknowledged to have been of the purest in recent times the pickaxe and the spade have brought to light in the catacombs of rome memorials of early christian life which to many of our separated brethren would be quite a revelation there on the walls and tombs of those ancient christian cemeteries is depicted much of the devotional life of the church and it is found to coincide exactly with that of the catholic church of today indeed catholics feel quite at home in such places now among these monuments of ancient catholic devotion are inscriptions in abundance containing prayers for the dead prayers that the departed souls may soon be admitted into paradise and the like why prayers for the soul of the dead if there was no need of prayers we may add that it is a well-known historical fact that on the anniversaries of deaths the friends of the dead used to assemble at their tombs and offer prayers for the repose of their souls and lest any one may think that the customs to which the catacombs bear witness were only a matter of personal devotion tolerated at the best though the number of the inscriptions should dispel the thought providence has preserved for us numerous testimonies to the doctrines and practice of the church in the writings of the fathers and in the ancient liturgies can any witness be clearer in his testimony or send more weight with it than saint augustine when he says some there are who have departed this life not so bad as to be deemed unworthy of mercy nor so good as to be entitled to immediate happiness what but the catholic doctrine can be embodied in the words of saint ambrose publicly pronounced at the departure from this life of the emperor theodosius i will not leave him till by my prayers and lamentations he shall be admitted unto the holy mount of the lord and what shall we say to the following statements of saint cyprian it is one thing he says to hope for pardon and another to enter into glory to be thrown into prison and not to be allowed to go out from thence until one has paid the last farthing, or at once to receive the reward of our faith and virtue. It is one thing to atone for sin by long-enduring sufferings, and to be cleansed by fire, and another thing to have all our sins washed away by martyrdom. It is one thing to hope for a favorable sentence, another thing to receive at once the crown from the judge, These are only specimens of the teaching of the Fathers. One would be quite puzzled to know how such clear and explicit testimonies either should not be known to Protestant readers, or should fail to produce conviction if we were not aware of the practice of Protestant apologists, who pass over in silence such testimonies as we have produced in favour of the Catholic doctrine, and then fasten upon some obscure or irrelevant passage in the writings of a few of the Fathers which might be thought to tell against the existence of purgatory if saints ambrose augustine and cyprian were placed in a witness-box and made to state before a jury of average intelligence their belief in regard to a middle state after death could they be much clearer in favour of the catholic teaching than they are in the above passages we shall add with cardinal wiseman that there is not a single liturgy existing whether we consider the most ancient period of the church or the most distant part of the world in which this doctrine is not laid down. In the Oriental liturgies we find parts appointed in which the priest or bishop is ordered to pray for the souls of the faithful departed, and tables were anciently kept in the churches called diptychs on which the names of the deceased were enrolled that they might be remembered in the sacrifice of the Mass and the prayers of the faithful is it not clear then that the rejection of the doctrine of purgatory by the reformers was the rejection of a teaching of god's church a church which according to st paul is the pillar and ground of truth and has not the silencing of prayers for the dead been the closing up of a fountain of mercy in the church of which faith and natural affection would avail themselves as they do in point of fact in the catholic church in behalf of those who are still dear to us in the life beyond the grave. And now a word before closing about a certain scriptural argument in favour of purgatory, which to Catholics is, and must be, conclusive, but which to Protestants is unacceptable. In the second book of Maccabees, 12, 43-46, we are told that Judas Maccabeus, sent 12,000 drachms of silver to Jerusalem for sacrifice to be offered for the sins of the dead, thinking well and religiously concerning the resurrection, and because he considered that they who had fallen asleep with godliness had great grace laid up for them. The sacred writer adds, It is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from sins, this statement both of fact and of doctrine furnishes to a catholic proof positive of the existence of purgatory but it is useless to quote it to a protestant because the protestant churches exclude the books of the maccabees from the canon of the scriptures regarding them as not inspired they do not accept their statements of fact or of doctrine as the word of god we shall not stop to quarrel with luther and calvin for having on their own private authority rejected one of the sacred books which the church had always included in the canon but granted that the second book of maccabees is not in the canon and cannot be cited as an inspired writing it still has considerable weight as a historical document it throws no little light upon the belief and practice of the chosen people of god or at least of by far the larger and better portion of them if the great and good leader of the Jewish nation and its high priest could thus proclaim his belief in an intermediate state after death, at a time when the law was well observed, and if he was seconded by the historian, in whose narration there is nothing to indicate that the idea was a novel one, the testimony of the second book of Maccabees to the acceptance of the doctrine of purgatory by the people of God is of no little value. And thus the voice of antiquity is reinforced in its witness against the innovations of the sixteenth century. Besides, it is a fact well known from other sources that the Jews have had the custom of praying for their dead. It is evident, then, that the Catholic doctrine rests firmly on the basis of history, reason, and Scripture. The objection is sometimes urged, though we hope not very seriously, against the Catholic doctrine. But it contradicts the words of ecclesiastes if the tree fall to the south or to the north in what place soever it shall fall there it shall be Eleven three. the words are interpreted as meaning that death settles a man's fate for eternity it is either heaven or hell and consequently there is no room for purgatory but we see no necessity of running the metaphor into the ground The way in which a man's eternal destiny is settled by a good or bad death may well be compared to the way in which the position of a fallen tree depends on the direction of its fall but an eternal destiny is not less eternal or less final because of a temporary delay in its accomplishment any more than the general position of a tree on the ground is less determined by the direction of its fall Even though in falling it should have rested a few moments on the edge of a roof. But aside from the metaphor, if the text quoted disproves purgatory, it disproves limbo as well. Are the critics of the Catholic doctrine ready to sacrifice limbo as well as purgatory? End of section 74. Recording by Florence.